Welcome back to another episode of the Way Forward Podcast with Alex Zek. This episode is super good. The only issue is we're experiencing some crazy weather here where I live. So halfway through the episode, the power just shut out um, and we had to get back on again. So there's a few hiccups that you notice, some areas where it glitches a little bit. Just bear with me. This episode's really, really good because our guest is John Liu. John is a filmmaker and ecologist. He is also a researcher at several institutions. In January 2015, John was named visiting fellow at Netherlands Institute of Ecology of the Royal Netherlands Academy of Arts and Sciences. John is also ecosystem ambassador for the Common Land Foundation based in Amsterdam, Netherlands. In 2017, John founded Ecosystem Restoration Camps, a worldwide movement that aims to restore damaged ecosystems on a large scale. Most recently, John was featured in Kiss the Ground, a full-length documentary narrated by Woody Harrelson that sheds light on a new, old approach to farming called regenerative agriculture. Regenerative agriculture has the potential to balance our climate, replenish our vast water supplies, and feed the world. If you've yet to watch Kiss the Ground on Netflix, you absolutely should. It is such an amazing documentary. It was really cool at the end when they featured John, who observed and documented the lowest plateau in China being regenerated. I think it was 14,000 square miles of land was regenerated. Um, and it was really cool to see a side-by-side. It was like a desert. And then after the regeneration process, it looked super green, looked like a completely different climate. And John was uh, referring to regenerative agriculture, and he said, this is the way forward. So naturally... I had to reach out to him and see if he would come on my podcast. So um, without further ado, here's the episode with John. I'm sorry again for a few of the hiccups, but bear with me. Hopefully one day I'll be able to get a professional studio that won't have any of these issues. So thank you. And here's the episode with John. The way forward is to respect the law of free will, to encourage mind, body, and spirit wellness, to promote love compassion and understanding, to be of service to others, and to honor the inherent sacred connection between all things. John, I first uh, heard about you when uh, I was watching Kiss the Ground, and it was the part about the Les Plateau in China um, and how you regenerated 14,000 uh, square miles of land, uh, which was just amazing to see the, the, the side-by-side comparison pictures. And uh, Well... I think you have to be a little careful because I didn't restore it. I documented the restoration. Okay. You documented the restoration. You're yeah. part of the project that did though, nonetheless. Um, yeah. I, I was asked by the world bank to go there and uh, to, to especially document the baseline study so that you have a comparison when, when we see, we, so we can measure what changes took place. Okay. Got you. Okay. And, uh, well, nonetheless, it was, it was amazing to see, and you were definitely a part of that. Right. And then you said, uh, sort of, um, touching on the regenerative piece of it, you said, this is the way forward. And I was like, ah, this, that's my podcast name. I have to find a way to reach out to him, um, to see if he'd be willing to come on my podcast. And I know we had a, a brief discussion, uh, a couple weeks ago and, uh, fortunately, you agreed to come on my show. So thank you so much for your willingness. Um, and for the people that will be listening to this, John uh, right now is outside in this conversation that I'm 
having with him and his backdrop is. Can you explain where you are right now? Um, I'm in a place called the Mushroom Farm. It's on Highway 1, which is right along the Pacific Ocean, just north of Santa Cruz, California. So you can hear some cars go by, but you can also hear the crashing of the waves. This is a kind of surfer place. And um, the Mushroom Farm was a, a farm that was used for many decades by Campbell's Soup to grow mushrooms for their cream of mushroom soup. And now it's uh, being turned into uh, a restoration or regenerative agriculture site. That's amazing. It's probably super cool to see up close too. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and I think it's, it's the way forward, for instance, that we, we have um, more and more people working in regenerative agriculture or in ex, uh, ecosystem restoration. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to get into, uh, as, we, as we continue in the conversation, um, towards the end, what each of us can do individually. But I want to start with, um, so you, <laughs> I was listening to one, a TED talk that you gave, and you discussed how you dropped out of college to become a cameraman. And what led you from that to where you are now? And what discoveries have you made along that journey? Well, the, f the funny thing was I was in, in university and I think I was a very serious, young, sensitive and somewhat serious young person. And I had a professor who, who said, you will never work in journalism. And I just thought, well, why am I paying you and this university if I'll never work in journalism, then I don't need this. <laughs> so I left and I went overseas and worked in journalism at the <laughs> highest levels for 15 years. And then I was covering stories like the rise of China from poverty and isolation and then the collapse of the Soviet Union, stories like this, and um, international terrorism. But then the World Bank asked me to film a baseline study of the Luce Plateau, which is in the upper and middle reaches of the Yellow River. So this, this area is the cradle of Chinese civilization. And it was so fundamentally degraded. Excuse me for just one moment. I'm sorry, I'm doing a podcast. It's a, like a deal, you know, sorry. Um, That's sorry. Right. Um, so what I, what I found was that uh, the area where, where the Lys Plateau was, was fundamentally ecologically destroyed. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe that the largest ethnic group on the planet came from a place that looked like the moon. And so I became fascinated by this. And I, I was also able to compare journalism looking at the rise of China and, and the collapse of the Soviet Union and big geopolitical stories like that and kind of compare which is more important. The, the ecology that I was starting to look, see being destroyed and whether it could be restored and these sort of it's the the kind of egotistical self-serving manipulative things that i was seeing in journalism and so i can i concluded that ecology was more important and that i would really rather spend the rest of my life studying ecology and, and documenting this and communicating about it rather than follow the sort of things that people were doing. Because if people could understand the ecology, they could go in a different direction and have a different outcome. So was this your first dose of the ecological like side of journalism or had you delved into that arena before? I had been observing the the enormous pollution mm -hmm. that was happening in uh, China as China was modernizing. 
So I had spent quite a lot of time helping to build a library for the Environmental Protection Agency, which then became the, the Ministry of Environment. And I, I also helped to create a communications program about HIV AIDS information because it was, they, they, they didn't know enough and it was dangerous to have such a huge population if the, if the virus were to emerge into, into the general population instead of only the risk groups. But most of the people were afraid to study it or learn about it because they were just terrified by it. So I thought, well, that's what, you know, I could do these things. But then I was sent to the World Bank, by the World Bank to the List Plateau. And when I saw this, I, I just realized that I could look through time. So I was seeing not only the effect of human history, but I was seeing the sort of, I, I could see that at one time it had been perfect. But then it was interrupted and was destroyed. And so I, I started to look back through evolutionary time. And then I, I was basically seeing geologic time because the pedosphere had been removed. So after 15 years as a professional observer making news reports about the, you know, it, it became kind of fascinating. And it became fascinating because it, you couldn't finish. You couldn't know everything because it's infinitely complex. So I, I started on this path with a kind of naivety, not knowing that I needed to study geology and chemistry and microbiology and atmospheric science and horticulture and botany. And So you realized you were in over your head, at, or you thought you were in over your head at first, maybe. No, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I thought, <laughs> I thought this is fascinating. <laughs> Look at these pipes, you know, what And so that kind of that kind of naivety is actually a pretty good thing because you don't have preconceived ideas. You don't you don't believe that you that it you have to think in a certain way because that's the conventional understanding. And when you look at the conventional understanding, it's false. Mm -hmm. So, you know, especially when I started college, they had just discovered plate tectonics, mm -hmm. you know, the, the huge forces that are, you know, have, having such an effect on the, on the earth and nobody knew anything about this. There wasn't even really a subject called ecology. It, it was biology or it was geology or or, or other, you know, cosmology. You, you could study other other kinds of things, but you, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like there was a deep understanding of the holistic nature of all systems, living I, systems. I love that term, um, and I always say this in uh, when I, in discussions with people is that especially in Western culture, we're very reductionist in our approach to learning. We like to reduce things to their simplest forms and leave out the complexity that is uh, the inextricable link between a bunch of variables that have causes and effects in multi multiple areas on things. Um, so this is a perfect example of that. And your naivety in, in approaching it, it allowed you to maybe look at things in a completely different way than the conventional method, which has sort of led you to be... Um, this is my term. I don't know if you'd use it, a leader in this, in this field in a way, a pioneer, if you will. Well, I sort of, you know, because at first I was just doing what I had been asked to do. And then I became kind of obsessive about this thing because I said, oh, this is so important. And I would try to tell people about it and they would say, no, you know, I don't want to know anything. Poor people, soil, you know, leave me alone, you know. And so I didn't really feel like I was a leader because nobody was following. And um, what I found, though, was that after about 10 years, the sponsors who were supporting me at that point, the British government was one of the bigger, um, the Department for International Development, DFID of the British government, they were 
paying me to continue the, the documentation and the study. And they said, okay, look, 10 years is a long time. You know, you, you have to give a science lecture. But I had dropped out of college to be a cameraman. And, you know, the idea that I'm going to go give a science lecture was kind of strange. But I said, okay. And um, then I went to give this lecture. And when I, when, I sh when I saw what was going on in these scientific uh, academic circles, it wasn't very well communicated. Most mm -hmm. of the people were essentially talking about some very, very small aspect of uh, that they were interested in. Mm -hmm. And that was probably excellent work, but it didn't have a context. So the exact meaning of what this was wasn't really clear, mm -hmm. you know, that this protein does this and isn't that interesting. Yes, that's interesting, but why is it important? You know, exactly what does it mean? And, um, and then I presented what I had been documenting, and I, I, I had the advantage of having broadcast video mm -hmm. on a gigantic screen behind me saying, well, this is what I saw. And this is what I think it means. And then when I present it to all, all of the scientific people who are in the, in the project, they basically validate what I'm saying. In their and own so, each independent area, right? So like, it's like your broad overview of everything was like, hey, this applies to you, this applies to you. And it's like all these pieces need to work together for an optimal solution in a way. Well, it's it's sort of like they don't exist mm -hmm. in isolation. They only exist as a system. Mm. And they evolved over 3.8 billion years. So you have symbiotic life forms co-creating a functional ecosystem. And human beings didn't do any of that. Mm -hmm. They just arrived at the end. Mm -hmm. And it was fully functional. So I think that's when you look at cosmology and you say the Judeo-Christian Islamic cosmology, it says human beings emerged in paradise. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly what it looks like when you study evolution, because there's a very long period of evolution and the very end of it, human beings emerge. So there's no difference <laughs> between this evolution and the and the sort of traditional um, cosmology, but I think it's really the indigenous people who had the better take on it, because indigenous people in Africa, indigenous people in South America, Central America, North America, in Asia, they talked about the sacredness of life, and so they didn't get so caught up with materialism mm -hmm. but in in the judeo-christian islamic world it sort of became about possessions and social social status so you you know having wearing purple or ermine skins and showing that you're superior to other people became like a deal, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think that that is really true because everyone is pretty much equal. We're all representations of all life since the beginning of time. It can't be any other way. And we all die. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the guy who dies with the most, most stuff doesn't win. There's, nothing there and in fact it's kind of tragic if their life is lost and they never lived it because they were so caught up in material things mm -hmm. so so I, you think I, that like natural um or that judeo-christian sort of uh transition into materialism that was like completely divergent of uh these indigenous cultures that natural well, yeah it naturally led us, though, to a 
to viewing ourselves as separate of nature in a way because there there seems to be like that is the issue here right we view ourselves as separate of nature rather than existing within the whole that is nature and i say we well, in a very general sense yeah. obviously I, I i mean obviously you had various people throughout historical time who were talking about, i mean jesus or buddha or mm-hmm. Gandhi or Martin Luther King or Nelson Mandela. I mean, they're all presenting us with, with like love, forgiveness, life, affirming, compassion, joy, love. But on the other hand, you, you have like, for instance, the Catholic church, at one point, the Catholic Church in the in the age of expansion from Europeans, Europeans had converted to Christianity, and then the Catholic Church wrote a papal bull that said, "Oh, you know these funny people in skins or living naked in the jungle or something, they're not really fully human. <laughs> you know, we you can kill them, <laughs> you can enslave them. They're just nothing." and you know, this is so awful that it's hard to really, it's hard, it's hard to like even focus on it because you want to just not know that. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that's how things got to be the way they are. And then the people who, who thought, okay, it's okay. We, you know, we've been given a given permission to enslave others or steal their lands or whatever. Then, um, you know they did that and and now they they sort of said well your belief systems i mean either they completely eradicated them and that's the case in i grew up in indiana there were just no indians in indiana so mm-hmm. um but the you know the other side of this is i mean lots of indians fled so they didn't die they left you know mm-hmm. and saved themselves hiding and fleeing from that but what happened then is that at some point for instance like slavery at some point people said well you know we got to stop slavery you know that's a bad thing well they've been doing it for several hundred years you know going and capturing people and sending them to the other side of the world to work for them for nothing and then they oh you know that's not such a good thing we better stop but they stopped that, but they kind of replaced it with this mercantilism that, you know, buying and selling your consumers. Mm-hmm. So now you're, you're selling an ideology and you're telling people that their identity comes from their possessions. Mm-hmm. And these are just not really true. <laughs> they're, not, they're not very good ideas. Mm-hmm. And they lead to great suffering and tragedy. And if they're never, if they're never addressed, if they're never, if nothing changes, then it just remains there. This crazy, horrible thing that from generation after generation, but now we're at the end of that because we're, we're changing the climate. We're in an extinction event. And, when you study ecology, then you start to understand that in extinction events, the top of the food chain is most at risk. Mm-hmm. That's us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not really life or earth that's endangered. It's human civilization. So we're at this crisis moment. So it doesn't matter what the stock market does. It doesn't matter if a corporation has you know, enormous earnings or that they're billionaires or something, it's irrelevant. If the climate changes, if the, the outcomes are increasing intensity and frequency of horrible storms or, you know, like hurricanes take out a major cities or take out a complete island or they're undersea earthquakes, cause tsunamis which destroy multiple nuclear power plants or huge wildfires that start you know this we're in it we're we're not it's not like the future we're in the middle of the of the end game so either we understand this really fast and transition 
or we face the consequences. So we're, we're having, the consequences are upon us now. So it's not some distant future where we're going to have these consequences. They're happening. Mm -hmm. So if we don't understand it and we don't adapt to that and we don't mitigate the worst possible outcomes, then it's going to be very, very bad. Here at The Way Forward, we believe in living a happy, health-conscious lifestyle. But being healthy can be complex. Joey's Hot Sauce makes it simple. Using the freshest, organic, gluten-free ingredients, Joey was inspired to make a hot sauce for the love of his life, Lisa. Together, they live a life committed to health and wellness. So when Lisa said that she wished there was no sugar in every tasty hot sauce, Joey made that wish a reality. He called upon the Italian cooking skills of his 90-year-old Calabrian mother to make a hot sauce just for her. And she loved it. And so did everyone else who tried it. So we decided to bottle it and began sharing it with the world. Using zero sweeteners and binders, this sauce is sure to make your taste buds fire up. Visit joeyshotsauce.com and enter promo code TWF at checkout for 20% off your order. Burn all this hate away, hot sauce on everything. From your per perspective in um, your observation of the lowest plateau, what led to the land there being so infertile and being so desert-like? Well, I mean, it's, it's happening in California. So it's exactly the same everywhere. It's, it's essentially what I, what I came, the conclusion I came to, and I can't, after all this time, I can't fault it was that biodiversity, biomass, and accumulated organic matter are the indicators and the determinants for ecological function. So if you, have, if you start 3.8 billion years ago with cellular division, and that cellular, those, those single cellular organisms, they don't live very long. They, they start multiplying like crazy, and then they die like crazy. So what do we have on the surface of the earth? We have a pedosphere, a living layer. And it's on top of a, a lithosphere, a, a geologic, the air is no good. And, uh, you know, then, but that doesn't stop evolution. That doesn't stop life. It means that one form of life, like say dinosaurs or, or sporophytic, you know, earlier, earlier plant material that isn't, is asexual and, you know, do, doesn't have sexual reproduction or vascular systems or something, you know, then that might disappear. So we, we see that. We see all the fossils of those kinds of life forms and they're, they're not, I mean, you can still kind of find them. They may, might be expressing in certain things mm -hmm. so you see cactus or you see like armadillos or you see yeah. you know crocodiles you know tippos or something then yeah okay yes yeah, it's, it's obvious that they're kind of different beings you know but if you look at sort, sort of you know mammals or vascular plants and then it's they're they're very different generally so that's what it has evolved, let's say, in the interglacial period, mm -hmm. you know, later, later, and so 10, 12,000 years ago, and the human beings were, I think before human beings were predators, we were prey. Mm -hmm. you know, we were like, not the fastest animals, not the strongest animals. We didn't have big claws or teeth or anything. So we were probably really like a bipedal primate that was pretty at risk. But then we learned how to, we had social skills and we learned how to join together and then we could do a lot. 
So I think that's something we, we need to recognize that together we're strong, but, but on our own, we're pretty, pretty much individuals. So, yeah, I, th- I always say that to people too, is like the, the distinction between us and again, recognizing that we are a piece of the whole, regardless of whether we perceive ourselves not to be right. Yeah. Is that the distinct difference with us is that we have the ability to consciously create and manifest things and bring them into existence. And those things have the potential to be, um, to be resonant with what the earth, what, what is good for the earth or to be harmful. Yeah. And where, um, after like the civilization that, I guess, perceptively from from what I've gathered, in a way just didn't have the wherewithal to understand what they were doing to the landscape near the Lewis Plateau. How has that continued right alongside the the same ideals as uh, like that led to slavery and then to mercantilism, then this this never ending go, go, go mentality and produce more and more and more, consume more. How have those evolved to get to the point that we're at right now? Well, I, th- I think it's, it's, in many cases, it's a misunderstanding. So we're, we're looking at the earth and we're saying things that we extract and make have value. Mm-hmm. But we don't understand the complexity of the natural systems, so they're nothing. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the feeling that n- indigenous people funny customs more primitive they don't have stuff that they're not as valuable so it's similar in a way but what what is wrong with that idea is the value of an eternal system which which generates and then constantly filters and continuously renews an oxygenated atmosphere or a hydrological cycle or or naturally regulates the weather and the climate or creates amazingly fertile soils and amazing biodiversity. Well, that's way more than any of the, I mean, you know, we have these devices which we think, oh, well, that's a nice thing. Isn't that lovely? No, it lasts a couple of years and then it's a toxic waste thing that you have to carefully recycle or you'll leak toxins into the soil and into the water and into the air. So no, no, it's a very bad idea. And we didn't know this. We didn't understand these things, materials. So the geologic materials, that goes back I don't know, 4.5, 6, 7 billion years, give or take 100 million. And, and the beginning of this cellular division and then differentiation and speciation leading to infinite potential variety in genetics starts 3.8 billion years ago. But as, as each generation of life grows up and dies, it leaves its body. And then the bodies of all these living things pile up and that's the pedosphere so the soils the the vegetation our 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 bodies are made up of the same substances that have been in other living things it can't be any other way these you know and and then when you start to follow this i mean there's just so much evidence i really from a scientific perspective Science is not a body of knowledge. It's a methodology for telling whether something is absolutely false because there's no evidence to suggest that. It's just a, you made that up. It has nothing, no evidence about that. Or it is highly probable that this is true because there's a preponderance of evidence that suggests this. Well, we have fossil remains all over the place you can't you know like well i don't think we just you know they were manufactured and littered around you know (laughs) so so these things as you go through this and you look at it you go well what does this mean what exactly does it mean when you see all this well what it seems to mean is that human beings didn't know these things they didn't know that the life systems 
were symbiotic multidimensional systems and that they co-evolved. So in, in a co-evolved multidimensional symbiotic system, you can't take out a part of it without having a massive effect on the whole system. Now, maybe it can correct a little bit. And so it's, a, it's not a stasis, it's not a static system. It's a, it's a dynamic system. So you have dynamic equilibrium. And if, if a asteroid hits right next to here and sits, sends dust up into the, into the atmosphere and blocks the sun for months or years or something, because it's just such a huge impact, well, that could kill a lot of things because there's no sunlight. And in, in this process of life and death is the evolution. And then, of course, you have increases in biomass, increases in organic material, but you also have this differentiation and speciation leading to infinite potential variety in genetics. And, and then what we saw is that if you, if you don't understand those processes and you interrupt them, then you can start a slide that leads to collapsed ecosystems. And 20, tw probably 20 civilizations have already done that. So if we don't learn the, the lessons of history, we're destined to repeat them. And if we do understand this, can we restore the, the natural ecological function. And that's what we see in the Lus Plateau. Because if you, even though it's a long period of time and it's been degraded over a vast area, you can bring it back in a relatively short time, at least to a point where it, it's on this evolutionary trend again. So it's increasing its biomass, increasing its, its organic layer and increasing its biodiversity. And, and what was like, in the Lewis Plateau, right, um, you broke it down uh, or sectioned it off by like watershed, right? So how how did that work? What was the process behind that? Uh, it's, satellite, that that? it's satellite imagery. So you use satellite imagery and unique resource locations. So this means you can take every, every rivulet and it can have a unique address. And then any intervention or any investment that you make can be attached to the unique resource location. Mm. And when that's the case, then you know exactly like this intervention cost this much money, took this much time, and it had this result. And that result can be tracked over time. When you do that, you get an exact you know, you get a, a, a trend line which tells you, well, that didn't work and it's, it's crap or it's constantly accumulated. Well, that's good. That's, that's what's being called proactive adaptive realization. So the, mm. highest, the highest outcome of this is that we're conscious of what we're doing. We're not like making it up and saying, yes, if I build a giant factory and I manufacture all this stuff and I send it out all over the world and people buy it, then it's great. You know, well, why? You know, who cares? You know, so we, we have plastic chairs or we have plastic junk and we, you know, no, we don't need any of that. We need functional hydrology. We need fertile soils. We need clean, you know, non-polluted food and nutritious food. This so, like a, that's like a paradigm shift for for a lot of people in the in Western culture because what you just described there is like oh I, could, I if I build this factory if I do this this and this that is that is the mindset of so many people in Western culture exactly but what it is it's valuing derivatives higher than the source of life so there's no difference between that and worshiping the golden calf. You know, so this is the same thing from thousands of years ago. If you want to worship the golden calf, then you're breaking God's law, you know, and you're, you're, you're believing in stuff and in human, human craft, craftiness mm -hmm. above sacred life. Well, that's a big mistake. <laughs> that, you know, we've been told that repeatedly, but it doesn't 
necessarily. But I, I should finish the story about the society. Yeah, for sorry, I keep interrupt, in, interrupting you because no, I want to. Okay. But they just, they, they said, well, okay, thank you. When I finished my lecture, they said, okay, you're right. But you don't get to decide. And I thought, that's interesting. Okay, I don't, I, that meant I didn't have to carry the weight of the world. I just had to live my life and do what I can do because that's all I can do. Mm. I can't decide what, what the whole world and other people are going to do because they won't listen to me. So that made me feel a little less our conscious, as you said, our, our consciousness can either choose to align with evolutionary trends or to interrupt them. Well, evolutionary trends are natural laws. If you interrupt them, you're going to pay the price. There is no doubt. You know, if you know, if you explode thermonuclear devices in the Van Allen belts, and I think we, you know, we did that. <laughs> you know what? Mm-hmm. What? Who, yeah. Who's in, who's in charge? You know. I mean, <laughs> it's funny, but it's like not funny at all. It's like not even a little bit. Oh funny, no, know? it's absolutely not funny. It's absurd. Yeah, it, exactly. It, it's it, it's just it's just into the absurd thing. So. Now you have all these people, oh, my company is so important. Oh, this is the biggest company. We're the you know, billions and trillions or whatever it is. You know, that doesn't matter. Nobody's going to remember that. 150, 200 years from now, nobody cares. It doesn't matter. But if you don't have oxygen, you don't have water or you're, everything's toxic, well, that's going to determine the quality of life or even life itself, For certainly for humans. I would say... You know, there will be extremophytes and other species which will... Re- Life will go on, but it's a matter right. of if it goes on without us or not, right? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And it seems... Uh, I it, It's tough to, and I'm sure you experience this as well, to determine whether you're in an echo chamber and what you're discussing and talking about. But in like the work that led you to get to kiss the ground, right? What, um, I guess, do you see a, a potential here? I know, I know we have, uh, our time is like being cut short and short and short, uh, before this reaches a critical mass, but do you see potential here for legitimate change to shift this, uh, back to the system for correct the mistakes that we have inadvertently made? Well, that's up to humanity. It's not exactly up to me. I've come to to understand that I don't get to decide. Mm-hmm. So I have a role to play. And I've tried my best to <laughs> communicate this for a very long time. So you can go back through time and find everything because I published everything as that I learned as fast as I could. But whether anybody is paying attention or not, it's hard for me to exactly no because i can't grab them by the lapel and shake them and say you got to listen to me I, you know so they don't they go get away i don't you know stop what what are you doing was, was your mentality like that at first though when you like first discovered like hey no, the world needs it to- no i wanted everybody to listen to me but then when i and I, there were actually interventions so i got all kinds of graduate fellowships to all sorts of research institutes and stuff and i was with a whole bunch of kind of brainiacs for a while and then this group called the society for organizational learning had had this intervention i didn't know exactly what was happening but a friend of mine said are you going to be in london and i said yes and he said okay i'm going to pick you up at you know and and take you so he picks me up and he takes me to this um community center and we're all sort of sitting around in this tiny chairs for preschoolers or something and there's a bunch of old men from all over the world and so a few women but mostly old men and um and they're professors from nepal and sweden and united states and europe places and they're all sitting around and they say okay well here you are and i go like yeah but what am i doing here and they said well tell us tell us about your research you know so it's kind of like peer review, you know, it happened a couple of times in different places. So I, I, I give my, 
my major discussion of what I've been studying. Could you give me a little summary of that real quick right here? Like what, what is, what are some of the main things that you have learned in this process? Cause we kind of skipped over that cause I had already looked yeah. up so much of you, but I want the listeners to know too, you know? Well, that evolutionary process has a, a kind of logic to it. It's eco logic, if you will. Ah. And it is, it is that there's always more biodiversity, always more biomass, always more accumulated organic matter. So I've just been cranking out lots and lots of materials. So if somebody, if, if ever humans get interested, they can find all this material. Um, if they don't, then, you know, they should listen to this. And if they ignore it, they, they're going to ignore it at their own peril, I guess. That's a beautiful outlook, even outside of the space that you're in, is like, I'm going to put out this information that I fundamentally believe in, and I fundamentally can, uh, I think can fundamentally help humanity, but I'm not going to impose my will upon others and force others to adopt this, even if you were in the position to, you know what I mean? Like it's, that, that outlook is beautiful. No, I, I think it's the only it's the only way forward. Only way Clean, non-toxic, plant-based, and made in California. Earth source skin and body care that elevates your vibe. We feel best when we're living clean and simple with products that fit our conscious lifestyle. The average hair product has over 30 ingredients, consisting primarily of alcohols, toxins, and other junk. Jack Henry's best-selling clay pomade has a total of four ingredients. Organic French lavender and MCT oil, beeswax, and bentonite clay. These ingredients nourish your hair and scalp while giving your hair an all-day hold, humidity and sweat resistant, while adding thickness, texture, and volume. Visit jackhenry.co and enter promo code TWF at checkout for 20% off your order. It's not my place to tell people what to do. People have free will. People have choice. And what we've done now, I think it's probably not a majority we probably need to have like a tipping point. It's, and if you study the Malcolm Gladwell has been doing this kind of thing, like what does that tipping point mean? Maybe it's around 21% of the, of the people. So those who are, who are thought leaders, those who are really analyzing, like what's going on? They, they're, they're actually analyzing the situation. Now that, is is this group and they're going to make a decision on that they're going to say well derivatives that we fashioned are not as valuable as the the ecosystem functions now that's the place we have to be if we get to that place then we're in in a position that we we could restore all degraded lands on the earth and that is where the economy becomes bigger and more useful because now we pretend that this materialistic economy is big, but it means our, our trash heaps are bigger. You know, our, our landfills are filled. We were dumping it in the ocean. We're killing the, the aquatic life. We're killing, you know, all of this stuff. So no, no, the, the, those are just wrong, <laughs> wrong-headed. They will never work. The more you do that, the worse the situation will become. So we need to simplify. We need to to have less consumption, less pollution, more joy. More. Well, you, and you saw the you saw this firsthand in in Los Plateau, right? Like as everyone shifted, um, I guess especially because China was ramping up its production, right? It's just producing, producing, producing. But in this area, in the small, I guess, micro example of what happened to the people that were in poverty surrounding that area after it was regenerated i i remember you touched on it and kissed the ground how much it helped lift that area out of poverty and into abundance there's another film that's just come out it's called the age of nature awakening on pbs yep. i highly recommend that you stream that they've already broadcast it a couple of times but I think it's streaming on their site and I believe it will be on, I don't know, some other Amazon prime or someplace like that. But, uh, but go find the age of nature awakening. It's the episode one. 
and you'll see the transition not at 15 years, which is what's in in um, Kiss the Ground, but the transition in 25 years. Mm. So then you can really see the the massive changes. And it's not only in China where we've seen this. We've seen it in Ethiopia. We've seen it in Rwanda. So the possibility of restoration is is works everywhere it's tried. And it also makes the people who are now the most vulnerable, the actual, it gives them agency. It returns their human rights. We could reverse not only the ecological damage, but the social and, and, and you know, sort of the, the, the problems that we created by um, deciding that like the Catholic Church saying that these are primitive savages and they can be killed. Well, no, they can't. You know, no, they're human beings. And so we need to to get to that point. And that's a reconciliation because they're not asking for revenge. They're asking for truth and, and, and respect and their rights. So make sure that everyone has their rights. Make sure that that the we understand what these cultures have been studying. They may have the herbal remedies for the diseases which are that that are emerging from the, the chemical and and other other stuff. So that relates so much to um we don't need to get into this necessarily, but um th- this idea that we have it all figured out um when we clearly don't. And, and I always go back to Western culture. Like I relate it back to the way allopathic medicine or Western medicine looks down upon, let's say traditional Chinese medicine or some of these alternative medicine, medicinal approaches that really many of them are rooted deeply into ancient cultures and have proven to be successful over the course of thousands of years. But for some reason, we look at it as if, oh, that's crazy. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. We're more advanced than they are, so we must know better. Yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the big problems is because of divine right mm-hmm. or because of um, white supremacy mm-hmm. or um, manifest destiny. Sorry about that, everyone. We got cut off um, <laughs> naturally because we had an ice storm. So talking about the environment. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, John was just discussing prior to get, getting cut off. and I'll let him continue with that. Um, this uh, manifest destiny, white supremacy, as it pertains to our approach, um, the way we look at the world. Well, I mean, that's, you know, dominance and these historical impacts they're just simply facts i don't think we're going to go back in time and not make them happen but all of us have to get into a place where we can we can understand and accept this and then change so it's not it's unacceptable to have these attitudes but these attitudes have been dominant attitudes for a long time and the amounts of suffering and the impacts on individuals and families and, and nations has been huge, but we can't do anything about that. We have to, we have to design the future that we want. So we don't want that in the future. We want to have equality and freedom and, and, and beauty and and we want our children and future generations to live in fully functional on systems ecosystems on on a beautiful earth we want it to have its full potential so we get to decide that so we get to we get to process and address the historical mistakes and we get to decide the future that's what we that's what we have the opportunity to do and we don't have much of a choice at this point because we're, we're, we're at the crisis point. So we either get this done or we're in really, really bad shape. That's beautiful um, because we can 
consciously create, right? That's what distinguishes us as beings, um, as, as sort of the top of the food chain. And uh, this can be very... Well, we should be very careful about this. We should not be overly um, arrogant about this, mm-hmm. this, this ability because we've often used it to destroy natural systems or to hurt others you know so it's not really a it's not really something that we should be too proud of we should we should understand it and and uh, use it for good yeah absolutely and this uh all the stuff that you just laid out for an individual that is understanding of this or that resonates with this message um can be very daunting because it's a lot and i know that you just discussed how you've lifted the weight off your shoulders because you can provide that info, right? But you can't force others to adopt it. So my, my last question for you, for an individual that resonates with this message, even speaking to me or many of my listeners, um, but me, myself, I'm not able to wield that much power, right? What can I do on the individual level in order to help shift us back to a more symbiotic state with our environment? I think the most important thing is to live the change that you want to see on the earth. So so I recommend everybody join the ecosystem restoration camps movement, because if you join the ecosystem restoration camps movement, then you're going to be in a community that all have the same intention. And they're, they're trying to learn if they, if you don't know all about this, then you could learn. If you do know all about this, you can be a trainer and teach. But anyway, we have to live this. It's a physical disruption. We're not going to solve this on the internet. We're not going to do this in virtual reality. We have to restore earth systems. So once you understand this, it's not that difficult. And when you understand that restoring earth systems is actually more valuable than a, an economy made of things. What do you think the value? I mean, we, we can look into the cosmos, to the solar system, the galaxy, other galaxies all over the place, and we, can't, we don't know of any other planets that have oxygenated atmosphere and freshwater systems and massive biodiversity like this. So... How rare is that? How, how valuable is that? So you think cutting it all down and destroying it for more plastic goo-gaws, it, it, it's unbelievably stupid. So we need, to, we need to be better than that. We need to be our best. And, we need to, and, and, and that's generally what you see. You see the majority of people all over the world are compassionate and kind and generous. And those who are violent and kind of, they're a tiny minority. Those who want to have power over others, they're a tiny minority. So we need to end this. And when everybody goes, oh, you know, like if you tried to smoke a cigarette in the doctor's office or in the hospital and everybody would, oh you know what are you doing stop it stop that you know you you kind of need to have this thing where like if you're not evolved to the point where you understand that life is so beautiful and so valuable then well you better go to camp and you know just cool it for a little while and grow some soils and grow some plants and play music and volleyball a, a lot until you understand this. Don't, you know, so like the first, the first principle should be do no harm, <laughs> you know, so go, go camping, grow soils, <laughs> grow plants and get to know other people and learn how to have fun and understand that that's more valuable than, than stuff. So that, that's all we need to do. <laughs> Because if, if we do that and we, we get that right, then everybody's going to be doing what's necessary to, to reduce our consumption, lower the toxicity, to mitigate the toxins, and to have a 
a great time. I love how simple that answer was because it really is that simple. It's like we over make it over complex, right? That we we com- we make it complicated. Yeah. Human human thinking is makes it complicated. The real complexity is evolution and, uh. and life. And that's infinite. And so it's so complex that you can never understand it all. But you can understand parts of it. And, and the more we understand, the more you see, well, that's really valuable. And that's <laughs> really beautiful. It's, you know, so let's just, let's just go there and be happy that we're at the edge of mystery. And not be afraid. You know, I mean, I think a lot of what it is is that we're afraid of things. We're afraid of death. We're afraid of, you know, hunger. Well, if we're afraid of hunger, think about the people who are actually hungry. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just feed all the hungry? Why don't we house all the people who are homeless? Why don't we engage them in meaningful work? Why don't we have uh, basic income for everybody mm-hmm. so that they can live their lives and they can restore the earth you know this is crazy so i'm going to be looking and asking people whether you signed up to be a member of the ecosystem restoration camps or not i promise you i will most of the supporting members are sharing about ten dollars a month something like that maybe fifteen dollars depending on how much money you have and if you if you share this little bit of money like two, three cups of coffee per month, that amount of money, then the movement continues to grow. So we've gone from one camp to two camps to 21 camps to 37 camps in six continents. And so if this just continues, we're going to have hundreds and thousands of camps around the world. And those camps, what's interesting is that they're not like one country. It's culturally it's not culturally specific it's everybody around the world in all continents wants to have functional ecosystems so let's all work together to make that happen that's awesome i promise you i will you can you can check me on that week two weeks from now ensure that i've signed up and uh hopefully some of (laughs) some of the listeners (laughs) i'm gonna ask ask the membership people alec has signed up yet and, you know, and, if, and if like after your podcast airs if like hundreds of people join i'll, I'll we'll 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 make a big shout out to the way forward <laughs> i really appreciate that thank you so much um this has been a beautiful beautiful discussion um i really appreciate you and i really appreciate your work and your willingness uh to to help humanity um usher in this new way or the way forward Right. So thank you so much, John, for coming on. Where can people find you, uh, more of your work? Um, where's the best place to find it? Um, if you write this down, because you I'll might put it in the show it. notes as well. Yeah, it's uh, K-N-A-W dot academia dot E-D-U. K-N-A-W dot academia dot E-D-U forward slash john d liu all one word okay and that's my that so most not the latest not the latest things but most of the published and broadcast work i think there are 40 films and i don't know 30 some papers and essays so that's all there and you can find it and it's a, I mean, I wouldn't recommend binging. I think I slowly go through that. It took me years and, you know. To it's a lot to digest, all. so. Yeah. So, but it awesome. will be, it will be, it will be interesting if, if you get an interest in, in evolution or in ecological function. Mm-hmm. And notice that I'm talking about ecological function, not ecological services. Mm-hmm. So if anybody is interested, we can have a very long discussion about the difference between function and services. <laughs> well, uh, maybe, maybe at some point in time, we'll have to have you back on to discuss that piece, but. Well, I'd be happy anytime. This was great. Uh, thank you so much, John. Um, look forward to hopefully speaking with you again. And, uh, and 
ecosystemrestorationcamps.org. That's the place to go. Okay, ecosystemrestorationcamps.org. Okay. Join the movement. I absolutely will, and I will uh, uh, get my followers hopefully uh, to, to join to join as well. That'd be, that'd be great. You're awesome. a leader. You're you're a leader. I'm not a leader because <laughs> I've been saying this for decades, and nobody's following me. So you're. Well, Hey, it's going to take my generation to, right? Like the, my generation needs to come along in this as well. So I'm 67. It's your future, not mine. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So <laughs> hopefully I can be a pioneer and uh, take your work and run with it as well. This is, this is great. So thank you so much, John. Um, look forward to speaking with you again. Uh, and I'll, I'll be sure to reach out to you as soon as uh, I sign up for this to let you know <laughs> that. <laughs> okay looks like the sun's going down here so all right have a good night nice to, nice to talk with you you as have, well bye